This is the weekend of graduation, and uh, I wonder who has graduated from some degree at the university this weekend. I know one. Is there anybody else? Okay, you have. What is your degree? A master's in in tax accounting. Okay, anybody else? Congratulations. I need your help. Uh, I haven't filed a, an extension. I'm really bad, but they owe me money, so I'm not worried. So you, this is it, huh? Really? So what did you get? Did you get a bachelor's in history? It's a joke. What was your degree? Yeah, but what? Can't hear you. A doctor of optometry. So I can call you doctor now, or is it in a little while? Is it now? Is it really now? Good job. I'm envious. Oh, yes. Arik. Yes. Tell us what you did. Tell us what you said to the witch doctor. <laughs> Come on, Stan. What did you get? But you haven't yet defended your dissertation, have you? Sit down. <laughs> Congratulations, Eric. Anybody else? Okay, I want to ask another question. Um, did Lucas... Eh, I, I've asked him that, and I don't think he's officially done for a few months yet until he completes this trip. This is part of his academic requirement. <laughs> he has to write a paper. Yeah, we won't give him anything yet. Not, not yet. But here's what I do want to give Lucas. His parents are gone all the time. And uh, there are times when a young man has had an influence on our community that is disproportionate to his size and weight. And it's rare that his parents would be here and he wouldn't be here. And I would just like those who have been rebuked by Lucas to raise their hand. Now, I could ask you to raise your... To, to, I could tell you that I want everybody that's been encouraged. Now, who's been encouraged by Lucas? I want you to see that because we all love Lucas. Now, you could think I'm just saying that for certain reasons, but I'm not. We love him, and we thank you for giving him to us. And I'd say that whether or not... There were certain things going on. <laughs> All right. Let's turn not to the text that we have. I was, it was a busy weekend and I was working on writing the sermon and our text was going to be, um, well, if you'll turn to Galatians 6 first, but that's not where we're going. Um, Look at the beginning of Galatians 6, and we see that it says, Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted, bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. 
Brethren, if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself. And I began to think about the various places in Scripture where um, we have an example of this, where we have spiritual men and women confronting a sin in other believers in a way that is gentle and kind and loving. The first example I thought of was the example of Nathan confronting David over his adultery. Where you can imagine the self-righteousness that that Nathan could have had as the prophet of God in coming to David and how he could have handled it. But he goes with a very tender little story about livestock and a poor man. It was a very gentle correction. Then you think, the second one I thought of was, I thought of Jesus with Peter after Peter denied him. Where Jesus says to Peter, Peter, do you love me? Here Peter has denied him, denied him even with curses at the confrontation of uh, a young woman. You were too one of his disciples. And and here we have Peter uh, having Jesus stand before him and not saying, you know, you slime ball. I told you you were going to do it. Oh, you were proud. You wouldn't. Oh, no, no, no. Look at you. You know, that's how many of us fathers would confront our children. But that's not how Jesus confronted Peter. Well, then I changed my mind and I decided to preach on a specific situation where we see precisely what it says in Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. And I'd ask you to turn with me to Luke chapter 7, beginning with verse 36. Luke chapter 7, beginning with verse 36. And the title of the sermon is, A Woman Who Was a Sinner. Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50. Um, When we think back on... uh, our childhood, many of us heard the stories of Cinderella and Hansel and Gretel, or maybe you've watched the movie, I forget the name of it, that's about the U.S. hockey team's gold medal in 1980. What's the name of that movie? What? I can't hear you. Miracle. Oh, okay, Miracle. And what do these things have in common? Well, what they have in common is they start out with a big guy and a little guy. They start out with with Goliath and David, with the wicked witch and Hansel and Gretel, with the Russians and the Americans. But before the story is over, there's a happy surprise, and the happy surprise is that the underdog wins. And what we'd expected to happen doesn't happen. Everything is is reversed. It's a flip-flop. The last become first, and the first become last. And our story today is also a story of reversal where a proud and influential Jewish religious leader becomes cast down and a sinful woman who was looked down on by the whole town is is lifted up and she is exalted. Luke was a physician and as a physician he dealt with the dregs of society, those who bled those who were dirty for various reasons or another, and he had a heart for the little guy. And we see this theme throughout his gospel. And here he tells this story of Simon the Pharisee and the sinful woman, and how Simon the Pharisee loses out. 
But this sinful woman finds the love and forgiveness of Jesus and is publicly honored. Luke chapter 7, beginning with verse 36. This is the word of God and it is eternally true. Now, one of the Pharisees was requesting him to dine with him. And he entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And there was a woman in the city who was a sinner. And when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume and standing behind him at his feet, weeping. She began to wet his feet with her tears and kept wiping them with the hair of her head and kissing his feet and anointing them with the perfume. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of person this woman is who is touching him that she is a sinner. And Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he replied, say it, teacher. A moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they were unable to repay, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have judged correctly. Turning to the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. For this reason, I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And then he said to her, your sins have been forgiven. Those who were reclining at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this man who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is the word of the Lord. Now, after the Sabbath meeting in the synagogue, similar to our Sunday, Jesus had gone home for dinner to the house of the leader of the community, Simon the Pharisee. It was sort of like being asked home for Sunday dinner by the pastor. And in that town, that same town, we don't know the name of the town, there lived a woman who was known by everyone as a sinner. And if you look at uh, the original language, you're, you're not going to come up with the fact that she was a whore or a prostitute or an adulterer. But that's exactly what you're going to come up with. She was a notorious sinner. Now, if you were to say that a man is a notorious sinner, there are many ways the man could be sinful, aren't there? It could be that he's a used car dealer in town and everybody knows that he's a shyster. It could be that he's a crooked judge. It could be that he is a man that is without mercy and is known to swagger as a police officer. It could be that uh, he commits any one of a number of sins. It could be that he's a drug addict. It could be that he is an adulterer. But then, if a woman was a sinner... Since her sphere was the home, if she was known publicly as a sinner, this meant that the public knew that she was unchaste. 
Because this was the one thing that would cause a woman to have a public reputation. You know, you wouldn't talk about her being uh, a dripping faucet uh, in the home to her husband, although you might know about it. But if she's publicly known as a sinner, it was undoubtedly because she was either a whore, a prostitute, or an adulterer. And uh, her reputation was well known. And Jesus is going into the home of Simon the Pharisee, the religious leader. He's going home for Sunday dinner. In this this town lived a woman known by everyone for her sin. And we find her hearing that Jesus has gone to this house, and we find her showing up at the house. Now, how does that work? It wouldn't work in your house. For one thing, she wouldn't have the remote control to your garage door which is the main way many of you who actually use your garages for your cars get in and out of your house. Um, Now, Mary Lee and I use our door because our garage is filled. And uh, she would not come in our door, would she? Well, actually, she might. (laughs) We're a little bit weird that way. Um, But most of us, you have to knock to get in a door. So here's the question. How did she get in that house? Well, if you've been to Africa or somewhere in the southern hemisphere, you'll know how. You'll know that homes are not private castles that defend us from the world there. They're community places. And if you're a community leader, your home particularly is a community place. As a matter of fact, I suspect that what happened was that Jesus showed up in this community and he was notorious. Anybody doing the miracles, teaching the teaching that he did, that he taught, would have been well known all over the place. And so... Actually, what I think happened is that Simon did not have a choice about having Jesus into his home. I think that he was the public, appropriate, proper person to have this, you know, itinerant evangelist and healer come into his home. And he was known to be spiritual Jesus, and and Simon was the spiritual leader, and so Simon invited him home. I mean, how else do you explain the fact that he comes into Simon's home And he has absolutely no grace from Simon. I mean, usually you invite somebody into your home and it's an act of grace. You want them there and you're going to give them some indication of your of your being uh, predisposed to like them, to to be affectionate, to have some appreciation for their ministry. But there's absolutely nothing with Simon, nothing. And so she hears that Jesus has been invited into Simon's home. And she makes bold to go and to show up there. But she doesn't stay outside looking through the open windows. But she actually goes in. Now, how does that work? Well, if you could picture, you can't see it here, but you could picture the table being something like this platform. And if you were sitting at this table, you'd have the things that were needed at the table up by the table, namely your mouth and your hands. Right? And what isn't needed would have to be behind you, which would be your legs and your feet. And so if you can picture, Jesus is here. He may have had his arms on the table. Joseph, Jovis, strong and able, get your elbows off the table. I mean, there you had to have something on the table. And his feet would have been spread behind him. And so it wasn't as if she came to the table and sat down. She couldn't do that. She wasn't invited to eat. But she was seated, probably uh, sitting on the floor behind him at his feet. Now, what was she doing there? Well, what she was doing there, we can say she was loving Jesus. And so here this woman is. She's in Simon's home, 
And we have a confrontation developing between this woman known as a sinner and Simon. Now, this woman has lived a life of blatant opposition to the community standards. She may have been one of those somewhat delightful sinners who are sinners. You know, it's not hidden in the back rooms. It's not denied. She'd laugh with a full-throated laugh and she'd be confident of her sexuality, and she wouldn't mind being known in the community as just a sinner. And so she had the reputation. On the other hand, Simon had the reputation he wanted. What did Simon want? Simon wanted to be known in that community as a very spiritual man. And so you've got a sinner, and you have a very spiritual man. And, of course, Jesus comes to the home of the spiritual man. Right now, think about that for a second. It's not um, it's it's not taken for granted. I don't think that Jesus would go to his home, is it? And we see in the story that Jesus knew thoughts. Jesus knew the insincerity of his invitation. Have you ever accepted an invitation to go to lunch or? to go to coffee or to go to the home and have a meal with somebody that you know despises you? You know, your mother-in-law? Do you enjoy Christmas vacations? It's not fun to be in a home where somebody is looking to trip you up, and yet Jesus would have known that was what was going on with Simon. Sure enough, Simon finds quickly an occasion to trip him up, doesn't he? That's what he's looking for, and he comes up with it. Jesus, though, was not just gracious to the woman, he was gracious to Simon. Remember when, uh, when Samuel is asked by Saul to come and, and to do the blessing bit? Samuel's the big religious leader, and he's just told Saul that it's over with him. And Saul keeps looking for something, and finally he says, just at least come and, and put a veneer of continued blessing from God on my ministry of king, you know? Well, here Jesus is lowering himself to pass up an opportunity to eat in the homes of the sinners and instead to submit himself to the hypocrisy of a meal in the home of Simon. It's graciousness, isn't it? And so there Jesus is, and Jesus is at the table... And he's trying to eat. And how easy would it be to eat if you had a woman who is crying behind you? You know, it's very interesting. Uh, Sometimes people cry in worship services. And you know what always happens? Not always, maybe. But in my experience, it's often the case that the other people get mad at them. Any public demonstration of anything different than what I'm doing And other people get mad. Why would that be? Well, I think we have a very good indication of why it is here in the home of Simon the Pharisee. Why is it that tears make us uncomfortable? And we say, oh man, I wish they could learn to control their emotions. You know, they're so proud, they're so pious, they're so calling attention to themselves. Don't they know that true piety consists of hiding and being inconspicuous and controlling your emotions. 
And so here she is. And what, put yourself in Jesus' uh, position. How do you think Jesus felt about what was going on? It's mortifying. I mean, it is completely mortifying. I, don't, I could not think of something worse that could happen to Jesus. He's, he's trying to eat. He's trying to pull it off with Simon the Pharisee. He wants to, you know, make a good impression on this religious leader so his ministry can grow. And here's this woman. And she's crying, which is embarrassing. And then she lets her tears fall on him. At least she could get out her handkerchief. And then she wipes his feet with her hair. And the intimacy level of this is going through the roof, dudes. And then she has with her perfume. So now we know that this is like planned. You know, you don't just carry around an alabaster vial of perfume. Unless you're the town prostitute. Because that's what it would have been used for. It would have been used as part of her work. But now it's not part of her work normally. It's now part of her work of repentance. But nevertheless, the smell, everybody knows what that smells about. It's to clean her up to do her work. And now she's pouring it on Jesus' feet. Now, if I had, if I had been there and I had been the one that was being, having my feet washed in such an extraordinary way, I don't think I would have been busy thinking about Simon. And yet, the, the text tells us that Jesus saw what Simon was thinking. Now, what was Simon thinking? Simon was thinking what? He said, if this man knew who and what this woman was, what? He would not be allowing this. And this is an indication that he is not a prophet. And so Simon is denying that Jesus is a prophet. Because a prophet would never allow a notorious woman to do these things to him in public. If he knew. And obviously, Jesus must not know. And so, he's not a prophet because a prophet would know. Right? Now, Jesus knows what's going on in Simon's brain. And so, he says in verse 40, Simon, I have something to say to you. It's the first time we, indicate, we see the name. Earlier, it's just the Pharisee. Now, it's Simon. Simon, I have something to say to you. And he replied, say it, teacher. You can imagine him being cocky. Simon, I have something to say. Well, say it. You know, say it. And then, you know, if I had been there, I would have said, Simon, you shouldn't judge this woman. Uh, look at her. Love her. Look at what she's doing. You shouldn't condemn her. Look at her. Jesus was much more intense than that. He told a story. And he said this, A moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they were unable to repay, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? Now, do you think Simon knew that the noose was tightening around his neck at that point? We were at a presbytery meeting on Friday. And there was a man coming for ordination. And uh, he made a comment about how... Uh, the wrath of God is not one of God's essential attributes. 
And uh, there was some lack of comfort at this. Of course, the minute you hear somebody saying that the wrath of God is not essential, you kind of you kind of know what's going on, you know. I mean, it's not as if the world loves the concept of a wrathful God, right? I remember one of the principal television announcers years ago talking about how foolish it was that any religion would believe that God was ever wrathful. And he said this, he said, my God is bigger than that. All right. So this guy comes and he makes a comment about wrath not being an essential attribute of God. And an old wise elder, after a couple of minutes, raised his hand. And and the man had explained the reason that wrath was not an essential attribute was that God is only wrathful against sin. And since there was a time when sin didn't exist, at that time, God was not wrathful, and so wrath is not essential. Now, you follow that, right? This old elder raises his hand and he says, "Uh, Sir, may I ask, uh, do you believe that mercy is an essential attribute of God? Well, immediately, everybody in the room is going, whoa, Argument over, (laughs) because what do you show mercy to except sin? But the man didn't get it. He kept walking and walking and walking. And I wanted to stand up and say, hey, man, the noose is on your neck and it's tightening. You know, finally, somebody had the grace to stand up and say, would you be willing to revise your statement in light of this discussion? And the man said, oh, yes, yes, absolutely. Yes, absolutely. You know, (laughs) so that was that was over. Um, Jesus tells this story and he says to Simon, who do you think was more grateful? Who do you think loved more? Now, notice what Simon answered in verse 43. He said, what? The one who he forgave more. Is that what he said? (laughs) No. What did he say? Look at your Bibles. He says, what? He says, what? (laughs) Well, I suppose, (laughs) I suppose, I mean, we're not making any commitments here, hypothetically, you know, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he, Jesus, said to Simon, you have judged correctly and turning toward the woman now. The story was intense, and now comes the confrontation. Now, play this out. Who do you think that the the head pastor of the community would have invited over to have dinner with Jesus? The doctors, the lawyers, the bankers, the president of the university. Okay? So here's the table. Simon's the host. He's the host. All right? And there's this embarrassing spectacle of this woman. You know that even to take your hair down at that time was immodest. And her hair was completely down. There she is doing her thing. Jesus has told this story. Simon's not yet on board. Well, I suppose. And then Jesus comes in. And I hate the way that we have emasculated Jesus. Let me tell you something. When Jesus said what I'm about to read to you, it was not soft and tender. And it was not gentle. Jesus had been gentle by coming to his house. He was gentle to the woman. He was never gentle to hypocrisy. Never. 
And here's what he says. Do you see this woman? Now he's saying it in front of everybody seated at that table. He doesn't take them out privately and deal with them. In front of everyone, do you see this woman? Now that's not bad, right? Yeah, he sees this woman. I suppose I see her. Yeah, yeah. All right. I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. Now, what would that be equivalent to today? Well, if it were in the winter, it would be equivalent to not taking somebody's coat and hanging it up. A small thing, but an essential thing. I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. Now, how do you think Simon's feeling? I don't know. But I know that it was either repentance or fury. Because at this point, Jesus' sword, you remember He said, I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. His sword has just gone whop! And it has separated those who have faith from those who are unbelievers. It has separated those who are notorious sinners and proud of it. Don't get me wrong, proud of it. Because it's God's grace. And those who have no sins to be forgiven. And he says to her, to him, you gave me no kiss. The equivalent in our culture of a handshake. You didn't even shake my hand when I, when I came in your door. But she, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. How's Simon feeling now? You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. Oil was beautiful. Perfume was extravagant. For this reason I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. Now, he's told this story of the debt and the debtors. And he has talked about the one who loves little and the one who loves much. And I want to ask you a question. Do you think the point of this is to show Simon that Simon fails by degree? Do you think the point is that Simon loves little? Do you think Simon loves? I mean, is the point of this that Simon raise it up a level? Is that what's going on here? You know, if he'll just... You know, think about it a little more and raise it up a little more. Then he'll be in the category of what we really want. Is that what's going on here? What do you think? Do you think Simon loved? If you, would you want to be his wife? Huh? Uh-uh. No. What about when Jesus said, I have not come for the righteous, but for the sinners? Was Jesus acknowledging that there were the righteous who didn't need Him to come? No. What about when Jesus explained why He, told, why he taught in parables? He said, so that the prophecy of Isaiah will be fulfilled, having ears they do not hear. Do you understand? Let me ask you this morning. Who are you? Are you the woman 
or are you Simon? Which are you? And if you're Simon, do you think of yourself as having little love, but love nevertheless? Is that how you think of yourself? If you saw this woman come into this church, would you talk to her? Now, come on, be honest with me. Be honest, come on. Would you talk to her? Would you have her home for dinner? Or would you comment that, oh, she smelled of smoke. What would you think of this woman? What if she came in with her breasts showing? You know, if, uh, if this story appeared in um, oh, what's the name of that stupid book that's a movie now? The Da Vinci Code. If this story appeared in the Da Vinci Code, what would her hair, her tears, and her perfume be about? It would be sex. Because in America today, there's no such thing as love between a man and woman that isn't sexual. And you know, the man who was looking at internet pornography and having little affairs while he was out on his business trip, if that woman came near him, what would he do to her at that table? That man would kick her in the groin to get her out of his presence. Why? That man could not relate to a woman like this except sexually. He'd have to show his self-righteousness. I had a man recently come and talk to my wife and me about his life. And he was talking about how a relative of his uh, was convinced that he was a self-righteous man. And that he wanted to convince them that this was not the case, that he really did love them. And in the course of the conversation, what do you think came out? That this upstanding Christian man who was benevolently interested in his relatives was what? Was in a many, many, many year adulterous relationship that nobody knew about. No one except him and the woman. Do you think Simon was righteous? You know, when you don't have love for a sinful woman like this, you know why it is? It's because you have absolutely no self-awareness. None. You don't know yourself. That's why. If you would look in your heart to the tiniest degree, to the tiniest degree, what you would see in your heart is more wicked than this woman's public sin. You know why? Because you're in church on Sunday morning. <laughs> and being in church, you... You have been given much, and so much more is required of you. You know, it's one thing when somebody that grows up at a meth home goes out and lives the life of a notorious sinner. It's something entirely different when the child of a covenant family of one of God's people goes out and lives a notorious sinful life. And what if they hide it? Well, that only compounds the sin, right? And so the truth is, if we don't feel mercy for this woman, if our heart doesn't go out in rejoicing with her, rejoicing, 
The only reason is that we will not look at ourselves and our sins and we will, we refuse to acknowledge our need for Jesus Christ. In other words, we have no faith. Simon had no faith. And he says about the woman at the end of the story, did you notice this? He says, your sins are forgiven. And then he returns. And at the very end of the story, look at what he says. He says, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And that's it, guys. Here's the deal. You are exactly what this sinful woman is. Oh, yes, it may be that you cheat on your income taxes instead of that you're out sexually immoral. It may be that you're a man and hide it at a motel or hide it on your television screen or your computer screen. But there's absolutely no way that one of you can stand in front of this woman and condemn her because every single one of us is a sinner. This is who we are. And if your life is spent trying to clean yourself up so that your reputation is good, it is you are without hope. Do you understand this? If your life is spent to cultivate a reputation as being a righteous person, there is no hope for you. Do you understand this? Do you understand it? You cannot know God without knowing yourself. These are the center of religion. Knowing God, knowing yourself. You can't know God truly without knowing yourself truly. And you can't know yourself truly without being on your face before God with no righteousness. That's why the hymn says, nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. That woman had faith. And her faith was what God used as the instrument to save her. She was saved by the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. She looked to Jesus. And Simon went away from that meal what? We don't know. Maybe the rebuke took. But the rebuke was right. Jesus would not have loved Simon if he had let Simon think that about that woman. And what about this poor woman? Yeah. Poor. <laughs> she wasn't poor. She was poor in spirit. And hers was the kingdom of God. Now let me ask you, what extravagant, foolish, stupid action have you done in public to show your love for Jesus Christ? Huh? Or are you too... You two are you two caught up in being prissy, maintaining your public image, huh? You see Jimmy up here, he's leading worship, right? Comes to the prayer of confession. That stupid idiot. Does he have, I mean, come on, Jimmy. You know, do you have to act as if it's all true? What does he do? He gets down on his knees during the prayer of confession. Oh, he's showboating. Right? Have you ever done anything in public to show your love for Jesus Christ, or are you too cool for that? Brothers and sisters, if we have been forgiven much, we will love much, and love is always extravagant. There's a reason why women like roses. So have you ever given roses to Jesus in public? You know, remember a few years ago when we were having, what was it, our 25th? Is that what it was, or our 20th? I don't remember what it was, and... I happened to be able to get roses cheap, so I bought like 800 or 750 roses, and they were all over the house, right? 
And some of you probably thought that that was neat, but most of you knowing me and how I normally treat my wife probably were a little bit judgmental of me for doing that, you know. And that's exactly what happened. You know, you said, well, you know, it's 25th anniversary, supposed to do something wonderful, you know. But, but, you know, if he really loved her, he would never be impatient with her. And you've been in our home, and, and you know that I can and often am impatient, right? And see, that's the way that we look at the sinful woman. Do you understand this? We have all kinds of ways of saying her repentance started well, but look at her now. She's fallen back. Or, or, well, you know, this woman should not make such an extravagant gesture. Her shame is so public that she should not associate herself with a religious leader in public. She should let her repentance be... Pro- and we go on and on and on and qualify all the ways that this woman has failed. All the ways that this woman would, should not do this kind of thing in public. And you know, brothers and sisters, we look at our homes, we look at our kitchens, and we look at our living rooms and our dining rooms. And what we say to ourselves is, we say, you know, I'm not going to have people in because I don't know how to cook yet, and my house isn't clean, and probably the lack of love between me and my husband will show. And as men, we say, you know, I'm strong and I'm silent. And, you know, I don't do it, that crying thing. I, I don't hug. I don't touch, you know. And, and other people say, well, I'm not a theologian, and I don't know how to speak about the things of God. So I'll just, and, and we have all these ways of doing one thing only, and that is defending our reputations so that we are seen in the community as being Simon, the religious leader, the Pharisee, uh, being the person who is pristine whose hair is absolutely in place, who never ever risks anything for Jesus. Never. Never. (laughs) Never. We buy the Bible that the pastor tells us to buy. We, if the pastor wears blue jeans, we start thinking maybe we should wear blue jeans or we always wear a suit and tie because, I mean, you see, everything. Our clothes, our hair, the words that we use, uh, everything about our life, even our cars are cleaned every Saturday. You know? Well, I know, not mine either, but you have other things and I have other things. And so let me ask you this morning, do you believe that Jesus will receive a sinner? Do you? Do you believe that Jesus will receive a sinner who comes to him? Well, the answer is yes. He will. He received this woman's ministry. Okay, so here's the real crunch. Are you a sinner? Are you? If you are a sinner, then Jesus has said that he will receive you. Okay? That's it. And you can sit there in your seats and you can look down your noses at those who come. But you don't need to feel sorry for that woman. She came. You know, it's obvious 
that she didn't give a rip what anybody there thought. She was aware of it. There was only one thing that was necessary to her, and she had it, and that was Jesus. And so the moral of the story is get off your high horse. Take your hands right now and just completely, completely mess up your hair. Okay, there you go. There you go. Just mess it up and afterwards be who you are. This is the one place where we don't honor Simon the Pharisee. We won't. We honor him by condemning him. This is the place where you are who you are. And if that's not why you're here, find another church. There are lots of churches for people like you. This is the second week I've told people to find another church. Okay? Go find another church. This is only for sinners. Okay? Let's pray.